Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to the newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin. I'm a knockout. I've watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David. I'm a noob. Um, my my wrestling experience is limited, but I'm, I'm willing to learn. <laughs> yes. Right, and so today... I just gotta say, I'm feeling the pressure to like different ways of saying that every time. I feel like yeah. it needs to be like a thing. Like, yeah, I gotta start writing these down. But anyway, anyway, that's true. But, all right, so for today, this is our first <laughs> like fo- this is the first episode where we're really following up on an episode that we did before. Um, that's something that I want to do on the podcast, but you know, we just have con- we just have been happened to jumping jumping all over the place and doing different things. But this is this is a a direct uh, come follow up to our second episode, and in, and in fact, when I initially plotted out that episode, I kind of thought we'd watch this one then too and then we got into it and we only watched one so this has been a long time coming but today we are watching um the oh my gosh how did i already forget the date um the february 5th the february 5th 1988 episode of the main event from the wwf and basic basically that event comes from the fact that you know Saturday night's main event was when WWF had an agreement with NBC, where on the weeks when Saturday Night Live was off, they could, WWF could take over that time slot and put on, uh, you know, big rest, put on their big wrestling shows, and those were so successful. NBC was let's let's do a spinoff version that airs on Friday nights in prime time, and so I just want to say for. Uh, a substitute program for Saturday Night Live, and the substitute program is wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 WWE. You know that base ba- one of the the biggest thing. I think a big part of that is one of the things is that like Vince McMahon and Dick Ebersol had a really were really became really close as part of this this era of WWE, and so that helped. He had a w, Vince McMahon had a really good end to NBC, and that's that's how you get that. That's how that kind of stuff <laughs> happens. That's fair. Yeah. So, so, so it's true. (laughs) Ah, rich guys being friends. Who would have guessed it? True. Hey, so what, what do you do for the very first ever episode of the main event? I mean, this is this, your prime time on, on cable T on network TV. What are you going to do? Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do the, 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 the rematch from WrestleMania three. Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant for the WWF Championship. And this this oh, episode damn. this episode only has two two matches, so there's really only two storylines to talk about. But that and so we're gonna go ahead and start with the big one there. Is Hogan and Andre. So kind of in the um kind of in the in the aftermath of of Andre losing to Hogan at WrestleMania three in 19 in March, 1987, you know, it was Andre was always kind of lurking. He stopped. He wasn't necessarily a like front of the front of the, like he wasn't a, he wasn't like, a like the, the main threat to Hogan for a long period of time. Obviously you don't want to like burn out that, that matchup. You don't want people to get sick of seeing Hogan and Andre. So they kind of, they backed off after the big mania match, but it was always kind of in the background that like Andre, he's still lurking. He still wants to be champion. 
and he's determined to beat Hogan. So he's always kind of there that you know that he'll be back. You know, like 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 a great supervillain that you that is defeated by the superhero is you know he'll be back someday, and that day is really today. And these so for some context to our viewers, I watched several episodes of WWF television in the lead up to our episode. I watched um, the very first. Uh, sir, I watched two episodes of Saturday Night's main event, and I watched the first ever Survivor Series pay-per-view and the very first uh, Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And none of that really mattered. <laughs> it was such a colossal waste of time, to be <laughs> honest. Um, oh, no. I, I talked, I told David about this so much while we were, while I was doing it. I was like, oh my God, why? Like, like stuffed. It's so, I'm, I'm still getting the hang of how they, told story how they told stories on tv in in the 80s so like for for the big thing the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that you know i we watched episode two we watched the particular episode we did because that was the birth of the mega powers the first time that hogan and and Mm. macho man randy savage kind of teamed up in any real capacity and they had the big handshake and there's been really no follow-up on that in any of the four shows i just mentioned yeah they don't really talk about it. And like, why? Why what? Because 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 they because they barely because they barely gave a crap about it in the episode too. Why are mm-hmm. they doing this thing and then not paying attention to it? What is going on here? Like, what is this bizarre world of like getting the two like big guys together and then just like effectively pretending like it didn't happen? What? I I I'm I, I'm struggling to understand the rationale here. I don't, I don't get it either because it's going to heat up a lot more after these two episodes that we're talking about. And I, and after we watch it and the back half, I'll explain more about where this storyline goes. But I always kind of assumed that like, even at this early on, there was, you know, mention of it. It was important, right? Like, I, like why wouldn't it be? Even if it wasn't like as big of a storyline as it would become later, you know, surely they'd be building up to it. Right. But not really. Um, there was a lot more mention of it, of the incident with, uh, the honky tonk man physically assaulting Miss Elizabeth like that. Uh, they come back to that. They keep coming. They've come back to that a few times. Of course they do. Of goddamn course they do because they're so obsessed with Elizabeth getting pushed around by this Elvis looking freak for some reason. But, oh no, Macho Man and Hulkamania all of a sudden just barely exist, even though we 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 gave them this epic moment together. <laughs> who who cares? When we can talk about the booby lady getting tossed down by the dude with the guitar. <laughs> and then Hogan, he's just kind of been, he's, he's, he's been Don't fucking around. with our woman. <laughs> and Hogan, he's been just fucking around with um, King Kong Bundy for the most part. He was kind of the oh, we 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 met, we saw King Kong Bundy in the last episode, and I had to watch two goddamn Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy matches. And like, here's the thing: Bundy is fine as a wrestler, more look, and than he is actually really good or anything. He's more of just he's a physical freak of a of a human being. 
But him and Hogan's matches were always boring as shit. And I would know this because I've watched three of them now. And I can confirm that they aren't good. Hogan and, uh, and Bundy can't don't have good matches with each other. And so... Yeah, I've had well, to also, watch... Hogan doesn't seem like the type of guy you pair up against Bundy either. Like, um... Like, you, 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 you sick, you sick the, the small, you know, Davids to, to, to fell that Goliath. You don't send, mm. uh, roided up Hulk Hogan into the ring to like, it, it, it's, it's like, it's like Seamus versus Big Show last week. Uh, mm. it's, it's like, it's, it's nice, I guess, but, but this isn't like, this does not, uh, effective, uh, effective storytelling via fighting make. It's kind of funny you say that because this was actually that was actually a big part of Hogan's kind of, you know, his his cycle of storylines kind of there's like there's basically like three different Hulk Hogan storylines in the 80s is you have Hogan as the all American, you know, rah, rah versus the evil foreigners who hate America. You have Hogan taking on someone who has one of the, you know, the asshole better than you traits you know he takes on guys who are super smart or he takes on the guy the rich assholes you know those kind of guys the cowardly shit heels or he fights giants like it's it was kind of a trope in wwf in the wwf at this time that if you were like the size of king kong bundy or andre the giant what they they would basically like build you up for the express purpose of letting hogan be the one to slay slay the monster and he'd do this again and again and again. Well, uh, I, um, because because well, because the first eighties episode we watched, um, that was Hogan versus Sika, right? Uh, yes, that and that was uh, that was kind of I, I guess Evil Foreigner is probably the closest to that that you can get to that archetype. But that is a little weird to his general uh, uh style. Now that I think about it, but I I guess it was some combination of well, like, like big well, strong I feel, I feel guy like, I feel like and, the way the way. Yeah, well, because I feel like the way they, like, they they kind of characterize Sika, like, even though he's not, like, Andre-sized, mm-hmm. his shtick is less, I hate America, and more, uh, I am big, beefy, strong guy, come at me, bro, I'll tear your head off, like, I tore mm-hmm. the head off this chicken. Um, yeah. Like, so I can, I can kind of see that, but again, just... Like Hogan himself is a is like a mini giant. Like, so why are yeah. we like? I, I guess I get it because he's the big star, and it's, and I guess it's you got to see the big star like destroy the big monsters. But like, mm-hmm. just something about that just doesn't seem to really work. It is always a little weird to see Hogan being being portrayed as an underdog figure when he looks the way he looks. I agree. <laughs> Mm-hmm. See, John yeah. Cena has the yeah. ex- him, him John Cena had the exact same problem. I will, I will, I'll give Cena this though. At least Cena kind of like his his baby face and his demeanor um, mm-hmm. lend him lend him enough uh, personality wise to to make up for um, his stature not uh, not contributing to him as the underdog. Like like he is played up as enough of kind of like this almost like um, innocence. Um, that, that you can play that off as, oh, he's a big beefy dude, but sometimes people just take advantage of him and he doesn't see it mm-hmm. coming. But Hogan is far too insane for that. Hogan, Hogan, like, won't let you get too close to him without, like, socking you in the face. Like, you can't, like, you can't get away with nearly as much with Hogan, so, so trying mm-hmm. to underdog him is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like where, whereas, whereas it was a genuinely shocking moment to see Cena get dropped by Mark Henry. If that yeah. were to happen between like Hogan and Andre, it's like, yeah, okay, cool, I guess. Well, 
it worked. If it worked, it worked, I suppose. So Hogan, yeah. um, if people liked it, I know. yeah. So, you know, Hogan dispatches of Bundy and that's, that was, so it was kind of just, again, a filler feud to get to where we're here, where his real feud now is with Andre again, but also the man behind Andre, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man. Yep. And so I talked a little bit about him in the episode two, because again, I thought we might watch that episode then. But basically as a recap, he's basically, he's almost like maybe the best example of rich asshole thinks he's better than everybody else that you'll see in wrestling. There's not, there's very few better examples of it. And one thing that I, I just kind of realized watching these episodes that I really appreciate is that, you know, is that if you look at something like Alberto Del Rio, you know, he's rich and he has the, the aesthetic, but it's, it's kind of just that it's kind of just an aesthetic. It doesn't really inform what his character does. Ted DiBiase, um, more than any other rich guy heel in wrestling, he was big into like using his money to get him places for example the reason andre is with him now is because he paid off and he gave a payoff to andre's manager bobby heenan to to buy out andre's contract with him because and the and and i watched a little bit of the of the clip when they did that and you got like and you got people being like bobby heenan what why would you do that you've always said it's your goal to beat ho for one of your guys to beat hogan and win the title why did you sell out like that and he, then heenan's obviously like hey, now my retirement set uh, i'm set for retirement baby money <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and so, i like money i like money <laughs> so what on yeah. and so where uh this comes in is that DiBiase wants to be WWF champion but he doesn't want to fight Hogan for it. He is he is straight up offered Hogan money to just give him the title. And okay. Hogan of course is like no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So now DiBiase, his plan foiled, is now on to his other plan where he's going to pay someone to do it for him. And that's where Andre really steps in here. Is that he Andre exists, he he is he has been paid off by the million dollar man, and he has made it clear that if he beats Hogan for the title, he's handing that title right off to Ted DiBiase. Uh, oh, that's like, interesting. Okay, two, two, two questions on that. Mm-hmm. Two two questions on that. One, um, we at least from at least from the episode we watched during episode two, it doesn't seem like the eighties are big into like the the backstage reality show segments as mm-hmm. much as they like, are not as much no. as the modern era is. So they are not. Where do we where do we see this payoff happening? Uh, so uh, they we don't really do that. Well, they don't really do these like backstage skits. They do basically what they, this is this kind of stuff they would give off in like interview segments, promo segments with each other. Like they would just stand there oh. and cut a promo. Like that's would be where this kind of storytelling happens. Um, I guess they do, you know, so, so are, this is not like some shady underhanded. It's all, it's all out in the open. Well, it is still shady and underhanded in that it's questionable whether or not DiBiase can actually do that. Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they're but they're they're open. They're open about like that's what he's doing. That's what he did. Like everybody knows that DiBiase paid off Andre, and that Andre is going to gift that title to okay, so, DiBiase so, and get away with it. So, so second question then on that: How in the world do you justify with Andre the Giant's character 
him agreeing to a payoff like that. I I I, I admit I know I, I know you know a limited amount about in ring Andre, but from what I glean about him, he seems far too prideful to just agree to that. Um, the story is kind of a combination of the thing that always happens of like. Like Ted DiBiase is just giving him so much money, you can't turn it down. And also, also the yeah. idea is almost at this point, it's become like Andre doesn't even like Andre more so than becoming champion. He cares a lot more about just destroying Hulk Hogan at this point. Like he still wants the championship, but he is, but he is more interested in destroying Hulk Hogan and proving that he's better than Hogan. And so that allows him to be like, oh yeah, sure. Take the title, whatever. As long as I can, I can yeah. kill Hogan. I don't really care that much. That makes sense. And so that's that's so that's kind of where that stands right now. Um, the other, the only, the only other match on this episode is a rem another rematch: Macho Man Randy Savage versus the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Title again. And Jesus Christ. Yeah, the story is the story is pretty much we've we've already been talking about it enough. It's it's really just a continuation of like hope like like the he attacks Elizabeth and and Savage also just wants the Intercontinental title back. So they're still fighting. Uh, on one of the Saturday night's main events, actually he Randy Savage actually fought one of the Hart Foundation members, Bret Hart. And in a singles match, Ooh. and it was awesome, which you'd expect because we haven't you haven't you haven't really had a getting a chance to see this. But Bret Hart is one of the most technically skilled wrestlers in history. So of course well, he had a really good match. Episode, right? It is, but you know, but he didn't really wrestle. Like, I, oh yeah, he did. I forgot he he wrestled yeah. Goldust, but yeah. you know, you know, but like even now, even in this era of time, he's he's like a top. He's he's like one of the more talented in ring wrestlers they have going, and so obviously him and Savage have a banger of a match. Um, I will admit I am excited to see that because because when we when we watched uh, the episode for episode two. Um, mm-hmm. I like the the vibes I got from Heart Foundation were more kind of like these kind of screwball, uh, not to be taken too seriously henchman types. Um, which, which at the time they so kind of like, were, so, they kind of were in the fact that they were just stuck kind of in the tag team division. But you know, the talent was there on Brett's on the heart on the part of Bret Hart anyway. And like in the mid '90s during the New Generation era, which we'll eventually do anyway. Like Bret Hart is an anchor. <laughs> keeping the ship afloat during that time period. And he, and you're going to, and if nothing else, you will absolutely see that Bret Hart is head and shoulders above everybody else at that point in time. (laughs) Jesus. I, well, I mean, I, I know I, I, I'm genuinely excited to see that in action because Mm -hmm. I, one of the biggest things I enjoy when doing these episodes are, are like the really technically skilled wrestlers. And to know that like Bret Hart, who I've just kind of up to now been like kind of, He's all right on like mm-hmm. to know that he's going to show that off. It feels that it feels uh, it feels satisfying. No, like no, I I get that you have not gotten you knew that just by design we haven't really had a good opportunity to kind of see him in action at his best. But yeah, no, Bret Hart's best is mm-hmm. up there with anybody's best in the ring. Yeah, no, it was it was like it was like it was like Claire watching Cody Rhodes last week and and yeah, like, eh. and we were like and we were like no, we promise he's no. actually really good. No, it's this is actually that's one of my favorite things about this podcast. Honestly, is kind of getting the reactions of you and then Claire of like people who I know are 
who from watching wrestling are actually really good. Honestly, I super swears, but like you, because we're watching very small, um, segments of time and sometimes not the best segments of time. You don't necessarily see that. And it's like, this is kind of funny to me. It's like the undertaker. So, thing. so, so it from episode four, well, it's, it's part of the undertaker thing. Well, well, honestly, like knowing, knowing kind of how you view Bret Hart, like mm-hmm. I, I compliment you for kind of keeping your cars close to your chest. When I was talking about the Hart foundation on episode two and I was like, mm-hmm. and I was like, eh, they're all right. I mean, they're, they're kind of like Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, pensions and- but like, I got it because I understand that on that episode, they kind of were just kind of, eh. like it wasn't an episode that really heavily yeah. showed off how good they are. And so no, they, um, they were there. They were there to be, uh, they were there to be backup for hockey talk. And, and yeah. that's about it. Right. So I guess that kind of covers what we need for the episode. I guess I'll make some just we observations from, you know, everything else I watched just to try to have some excuse, try to make some justification for me having to watch it. <laughs> um, so survivor series is always fun. Uh, that just so you know what that is, is that was actually the second, pay-per-view brand that wwe did after wrestlemania and it was basic and it basically in its original incarnation it was a bunch of ju- it was there was the only matches were these four on four and five on five tag team matches and kind of what made them significant and interesting was that they were elimination tag matches so as you know most tag matches we see at this point you know first guy gets pinned you know that team loses now in this time if you get pinned your the match still goes on but you're now one man down and so you get these kind of interesting like mismatched number scenarios that you don't get in normal wrestling matches that only end after one pin Okay. And like when they're really fun, they are really fun. When they're good, they're really fun to watch. Absolutely. And then. Oh, that, that would be phenomenal. Yep. And then the Royal Rumble. Uh, we've not talked about that before, but also the Royal Rumble is, I'm just going to, my opinion, the best wrestling match ever invented by the WWF. The Royal Rumble is basically a battle royal, except. It is, except it doesn't start with everybody in the ring. It starts with two guys in the ring, and every couple of minutes, another guy enters the match. Oh, oh, yes. That sounds like it could be mm-hmm. a real interesting time. It is, because you get all these interesting, like, the every couple of minutes, the dynamics of the match change when a new guy enters the match. You know, you throw, or you can, and people are still get eliminated, of course. It ends the same way a battle royal does, is that, you know, throw it, throw you, their goal is to throw everybody else out of the ring and last guy standing wins. But, you know, you add these new, because the numbers are, people are constantly changing. New guys will enter that change the whole face of the match. It's, it's an endurance test for the people who start from number one versus, you know, a guy who comes in at the, who's the last man in, he's, he's going to have the easiest path to victory. Like, especially when they, like, when they talk about, you look at is like, and the match length, they all go like an hour long. So like if you're to win the match from the start, you have to you have to wrestle for an hour versus if you're one of the last guys in, you can win in 10 minutes. Hmm. It's absolutely it's it's uh, it's incredible. And 
it wasn't the case at this point in time, but at, but back, but but eventually they would deter, they would change the match, and it wasn't just instead of just being a fun match to do for the sake of like having a fun match, they put a stipulation on it where the winner of the match will receive a cha- a a match for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania. So if you win the Royal Rumble, you get a chance, you get to wrestle for the biggest championship on the biggest show of the year. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah, it was inc- it's incredible. Always one of the highlights of any given year of wrestling is the Royal Rumble. But this time this was I'm a saying, there, there, there's, uh, there seems to be something there, there seems to be something very um uh storyline intriguing about these sort mm-hmm. of like wrestle for a wrestle for a big boy spot sort of matches, whether that mm-hmm. be something like a Royal Rumble or a cash in the bank match. Um mm-hmm. like the 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 possibility the, there's just something about um the i don't even know how to describe it but the um the 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 story potential that goes along with pitting people against each other for um for being top dog where it doesn't come down to like you know who's won the most like in mm-hmm. you know the most uh title matches or whatever it just yeah. comes down to this one yeah, this uh, it doesn't matter. Can, it doesn't can, matter what oh. you've done before. All that matter if, if you win this one match, you're set, and you and you have your yeah. shot at being the best. You don't have to have this long, long you know success to be able to win this match. Which I think is some. Which I think is even more exciting with a Royal Rumble, since there's like mm-hmm. since there's more than two, so you can throw a number of people in there. And sure, I'm sure they're not. They're obviously not going to like you know have some random jobber win it and mm-hmm. and be like you're getting a spot on you're getting a spot on pay-per-view but like it, there, but, in sto- but in story they could yeah yeah and, and 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 there's the potential for that uncon for for some unconventional choice to uh to get that top spot and it really can i'm sure it'll kind of have you at the edge of your seat being like mm-hmm. who's gonna get it because like that seems less predictable than your usual like you know straight up 1v1 heel versus face fair mm-hmm. absolutely um i guess the only other kind of observation i want to make is that uh, i talked to david a little about this but we we we, we, we almost we keep charting like what is women's wrestling like at whatever point in time we're watching and this is if nothing else probably the most bizarre to look back on when you think about it because obviously we haven't watched any women's wrestling from the 80s and spoilers we're not going to do that today either but at this point in time (laughs) there is not just a women's championship there's a women's tag team championship oh and the women that actually wrestled for the tag team championship was act- were actually pretty good. You know, the, 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 the jumping bomb angels and the glamour girls were kind of like the forever rivals of that belt. And they were actually pretty good. Um, not going to go okay. into this because they're not in this episode. I'm not going to go into the story of like what happened to the tag team championships besides saying that they were kind of, they were retired in, in 1989 and were never seen again until 20. They brought him back in 2018. Yes. 28. No, 2019. That's, that's it. So they brought him back last year. And so we at the women's have a tag team championship again, but 
this is definitely kind of bizarre to look back on because when an era where they otherwise don't really care about women's wrestling, but they have like tag team championships and the women are actually, pre- are actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, dang. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, this is pre divas. So, so there, so even if we're not watching anything with that. This episode, that's a, at least like some solace that like this is this is pre the goddamn butterfly belt so so yeah, I'm, the, I'm here for it the butterfly belt came in in like 2009 2010 was when that was when that was introduced yeah but anyway i that covers everything we i think we got to talk about for this episode and so don't like. We will see. We will see you guys in the back half uh, as we talk about what is the the high, the most watched episode of pro wrestling ever. It had this. This had a Nielsen rating of fifteen point two and thirty three million viewers. Oh boy, big boys all around. Big boy numbers out here. All right. See you guys in right. the back. Half. And we are back. We have just finished the February 5th, 1988 episode of the main event. And I, I guess uh, let's start with uh, the, the hot topic of the day, which is the fake referee angle. <laughs> what the hell was that? That was like, that just like came so out of left field. Like, oh no, it was what? very out of left field. So, for those who haven't seen the episode, Hogan and Andre ends with the referee counting Hogan down, pinned one, two, three, even though Hogan kicked out early, and awarding the championship to Andre the Giant. And then it is revealed that the the referee that um, refereed the match was an imposter of another referee yeah. on the roster. And he was paid off by DiBiase to cheat Hogan out of the title. <laughs> Which, uh, I, it, there was just this weird thing. Of it came, it, like I said, it came, A, it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. B, like, what's really funny too, is it like took the, it took the kind of motif of, um, uh, Ventura bitching about how like the last match, um, the last Hogan Andre match had a biased ref. Um, it kind of took that meme of Jesse Ventura kind of like harping on it a little bit, and then just like took it to the extreme with like, nope, now we have like a potentially paid off ref. Uh, which one's the real one? We don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jesse Ventura just screaming about like about bias one way or the other. Which, which if you know anything about Jesse Ventura now is uh, is uh, really uh, 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 simultaneously sad and hilariously present. Mm-hmm. or prescient thing for him to be screaming about um uh yeah, bias it, in the in the judgment call yeah obviously the there's a there's not 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 a tear for for this era of time not a terrible kind of like storyline there of like of you know this whole time you got everyone on on the side of of um andre and 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 DiBiase screaming about how that andre was cheated and the referee was biased for hogan and then when this match happens literally you paid off the referee to cheat for your side and and well and, 
and and like uh according to hogan like paid off a referee to like it wasn't just like a guy who just happened to look a lot like the actual referee it was like apparently like dibiase like throwing this dude into plastic surgery um and everything just to like which imagine like like okay look i know the whole meme is that dibiase is like to wealth and people do anything for it but imagine like going through a life-changing surgery to, to look completely mm-hmm. different potentially for the rest of your life yeah um just for this just one for match like a, a 15 minute uh a 15 minute match just so dibiase could win a freaking sports title yeah i believe i believe that they retcon that away anyway because that's that was legitimately the brother the twin brother of dave hebner earl hebner <laughs> And I believe they. Yeah, I was gonna that say, like, they, like, no, obviously that's that whole part about yeah, it being plastic like surgery is horseshit. Yeah, and it, it's it's really just the fact that that Dave Hebner, who was a referee for WWF, had a twin brother, Earl, and so they ran this angle for the, with that purpose. <laughs> which I which imagine like imagine like the 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 bulbs that must have appeared over their heads when they learned mm-hmm. that like Dave Hebner had a twin brother, an identical twin. Um, just like imagining the the story beats they could do with that, like mm-hmm. that's the sort of like you can't pay for that kind of. Uh, you, for, uh, ironically, uh, when we're talking about storylines involving the million dollar man, uh, but you can't pay for that kind of like story convenience. Like that's mm-hmm. just too good. Yeah, yeah, they 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 saw that layup opportunity. But it's yeah, it's, no. it's so wild. So, it's bizarre. yeah, it's so wild that like Hulk Hogan was WWF champion for five years at this point. This was the end of a five-year reign by Hulk Hogan as the t- WWF champion. <laughs> was with a yeah. fake referee yeah, and- nonsense. I gotta say, like, this was one of, I think this might have been, like, the first, or at least one of the first, like, bad endings we've seen at the end of a, Mm -hmm. at the end of an episode, and it was kind of a cool one to see, like, just Hulk utterly disgraced because of this weird batshit plot that DiBiase put in place, because he was just so goddamn desperate to win this title. Mm Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even work. Let's let's go. I'm going to go ahead and, and let's go ahead and move on because we're we're not going to do any more from this storyline because the shows that we have to watch to continue the storyline I don't like, so I don't want to watch them again. <laughs> so we're just going to not Fair talk enough. about this anymore. So after this episode, so basically what happened is that Andre's win is legitimate. They 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 jacked President Jack Tunney, the fake president of the WWF of this point in time, he, he was like, Andre won that won the match. That's, that's fine enough, but you can't just give all, you can't just hand the title to another person. So it's vacated. The title is vacated. So in the record books, DiBiase didn't win the title and Andre was champion for about 30 seconds because he immediately surrendered the title. (laughs) And that is the only time Andre would ever be WWF champion was this time. <laughs> so that's that's kind of sad. Oh yeah. So where that go where that plot line goes is, you know, is that now there's no champion. What are we gonna do? So for WrestleMania 4, they plot it out. A 14-man single elimination one night championship tournament 
at WrestleMania and the winner would become the WWF champion. And the show is complete ass because the tournament is boring. <laughs> but <laughs> but to skip ahead to what happens, the finals of the match are uh, Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase. And with the assist from Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage wins and becomes WWF champion for the first time in his career. So that's so that's why also okay fair to kind of kind of touch on the other thing of this episode is that that's why like the honky tonk man Randy Savage storyline ends on this episode is so that Randy Savage can go and can kind of move up and become WWF champion. He ain't got time to mess around with the Intercontinental title anymore. He's well, going for the big goal. He's going for a big prize. Yeah, yeah. I mean the. The the funny thing about the work uh, the, uh, with the with the savage honky tonk thing too is like with with it feels like such a fizzle out for that feud like mm-hmm. I like the the fact that like you know I what because because the feud was going on before the episode we watched the the first eighties episode we watched right mm. uh, a little bit um I don't know when exactly it started but definitely like that the first one we watched was kind of like. Almost like at the not that's not an inciting incident, but like that was what made it personal, so to speak. Like it was like before yeah. anything that happened before was kind of a more of a simple like I was the champion, I want my championship back. But then after him assaulting Elizabeth and then clonking uh, Savage over the head with a guitar, now it's like I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like it's. It it feels so anticlimactic to have to have like this kind of relatively short lived feud, um, mm-hmm. and then to just have it fizzle out too with just oh he he beat like 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 this uh, this match just had him just had Hunky Tonk at his most aggressively macking on Elizabeth and mm-hmm. Savage ripped him a new one for it didn't even get the belt out of it because he because because he he won by count out rather than submission. Um, like a dummy, like so, like a dummy. But, he just beats up sat. He beats yeah, up Honky Tonk Man till he wins by count out. But you can't win the championship by count out. So you, you so good job. You won the match, but you don't get the title out of it. You know, Austin Austin seemed uh, personally offended uh, by that mm-hmm. turn of events when we were watching. Like like he was just like, no, you dumbass. You know, it's, it's it's I get it in the sense that. They don't want Sat. They wanted Savage to win the feud because he's the good guy, mm-hmm. and and it and it's his girlfriend that is being Im- whose honor is being impugned here. But they don't want him to be the champion yeah. because they want him to. They already have plans for him to become the WWF champion, so they don't want him to win the belt off of Honky Tonk Man. So you have to craft this insane, this convoluted, and logically deficient beat story beat where he just beat where 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 you where you know savage can't keep his eye on the ball enough to even recognize that sure he he's gonna win the match but he doesn't win the title which is what he was competing for well like but 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 in line with their weird obsession with elizabeth like none of the narrative seems to pay attention to that it's just Mm -hmm. we we successfully defended Elizabeth's honor. Yeah, here's, the, here's, and here's the, the story her into the ring. 
the yeah, the story became about defending Elizabeth's honor, and in that sense, they play it out perfectly. But I, I just, yeah, I no. just I, I'm just not a fan of like that. I, I don't like it. I'm okay when like a heel does that intentionally. Like if the match had been Honky Tonk running away to keep his title, I that wouldn't have been a great ending to that story either. I guess, but like in a vacuum, I'm okay with that kind of thing. But I think it's dumb when the good guys don't pay enough attention to what they're doing and they cost themselves the championship like that. Like that's just not a story. Yeah, no, which is just a weird, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird angle for the writers to take it too, because Mm -hmm. um, like, like again, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like just the thought process that went into how they crafted this whole storyline kind of stretching from the first 80s episode we watched to now um where it just seems like their priorities are are so skewed from what you would expect them to be based on what they set up toward the end of that episode mm-hmm. um because uh like it, i i it, and like, 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 like i mean like, the stuff we talked about yeah and like, as I was just going to say, is it like, is it like, you know, you would think that there would be some interaction and this goes back to what we started at the beginning when like how they aren't really, they are not yet coming back to the Hogan Savage team up. Like you would think it's in any regard and in some way Hogan would have gotten and had a physical interaction with either of the heart, the heart foundation or the honky tonk man, you know, the guys he saved Savage from in the, in that other episode, but he doesn't. He doesn't come back into this storyline no. at all. No, it, and 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 like it, it almost feels in a way like the writers were simultaneously like just trying to ride out, like 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 they got mm-hmm. sidetracked and they just wanted to like ride out uh, how far they could go with those sidetracks. Like mm-hmm. again, with how convoluted this freaking uh, uh, Hogan Andre thing is turning out to be um and with again how weird they are about fixating on on defending elizabeth um but at the same time with how kind of quickly all of this ends up playing out uh at least at, like like the the i guess the weird thing is like the the savage side of things seems like they got too obsessed with elizabeth realized they got too obsessed with elizabeth and just tried to like be like okay we're done with this, we're done with this now um so they could have savage move on like you talked about but Hogan's still stuck in the Andre thing for a little bit because of how convoluted this whole goddamn ref situation is. Mm-hmm. So like, it almost feels like they they like accidentally like like shot off the the Savage Hogan thing like way too early, and now they're just kind of like in this weird time vortex where one of them's like prematurely ready to go, and the other's like going to take way too much goddamn time to get to the point where he can like get back to that story where he's interacting mm-hmm. with like his fellow superstar. Um. Oh, it's it's just this weird what should be, especially for a, a special episode where the whole point is that it's Hogan and uh, and Savage headlining each in their own matches. The fact that they don't even acknowledge each other's existence for the whole time, we don't even see them in the same room. It's just so much mm-hmm. like why, why, like what is this sloppy writing? This is like, just yeah, sloppy. It and, like, and, and and worse comes worse too, is just what a freaking bad villain honky tonk man is at this point. Like he's just mm-hmm. so like boring. Like like why are we wasting our time with this? 
Yeah, I, I, I do kind of agree that I, it's, it almost feels like that first plot beat was almost too early because they clearly weren't really ready to, mm-hmm. you know, advance on that in any way. It's not going to be advanced really until, you know, WrestleMania 4 is, is, the, is, is that it's Hogan, when Hogan assists Savage to win the title, then it becomes a much more regular thing of Hogan and Savage together as a tag, as a team, as partners, you know, that, that becomes more of a regular thing as opposed to, but like the handshake happens. Yeah. Happens six months before that. It's, it's, it's just like, I, I, I can just envision so many smarter ways to write this whole arc out. Um, Mm. and none of them involve just plotting along with, their own individual things for months after their meeting yeah um, like like you can have them do this you can have this exact same setup but just have them interact have them have moments of like, like of, and i know i know the format of how they cut promos in this time isn't as conducive of that as it would be in this day and age mm-hmm. but you can fig you can you can finagle that in there these are the two biggest stars Having them talk to each other once in a while isn't an impossible task. What are you like doing? Like why? Like why couldn't like Savage and Elizabeth be come out to help Hogan in the, when his Andre match at any point? Like he spent like the whole match. You have Virgil and DiBiase getting in the way. Why? Why at any point couldn't yeah. Savage and Elizabeth be there to kind of even the odds, so to speak? Before you get to the yeah, no. like, um, before you and- get to the ref the ref stuff. Which only really plays a factor in the end, or or like, or like, or have Savage be there to like, be, like have Savage like come up to Hulk while he's cutting, while 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 he's freaking out toward the end of the episode about about like the conspiracy that was just enacted against him, and have Savage be like, "Hey, you were there for me. I'm gonna be there for, for you, you like something, anything, God, please, like and like, but, okay, but it's just it's just nothing, like." Like WrestleMania four to five, like the Mega Power storyline is legitimately really good. Once they actually start caring about it, like WrestleMania four, it starts there. It kind of ends at WrestleMania five. It and that year long arc is actually really good. It and so that's why I'm super. I'm, I'm just super surprised that like the first six months, technically speaking, is so like not really there when I thought it was there. When I expected it to yeah. be there as someone who hadn't seen the storyline play out before, just I've know about it. So I like, I expected it to play out more on TV in these early mo- months than it did. Yeah. It's it, it, it just, it just turns into one giant nothing burger, uh, which again is compounded in its disappointment by a few extra things too. Like, like okay, the Hulk side of the storyline is pretty entertaining. While it's still like slightly depressing to watch him fight with Andre because because of just how much you can see Andre slowing down and how much they're already starting to build around his limited mobility. Um, mm-hmm. The whole like intrigue, as dumb as it is, about the like about the the uh, doppelganger ref. It's and, it's, the and goof- Andre, it's, it's like the best of goofballs. Andre performing well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like and like Andre Andre still like acted the part well. Again, this is like again we like when we talked. This was this was this uh this was around 
Princess Bride was happening. Um, and so, like, Andre's clearly still a talented actor, and he's good at playing out these really kind of the legitimately intimidating moments, uh, mm-hmm. either just kind of standing there uh, um, menacingly yeah, his, yeah, or, or having his, I surrendered about the Ted DiBiase. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. It's not a problem um, of uh, Andre can't act. It's that he can't move anymore. Yeah. Um, so for like, as depressing as that is, uh, there's still like, we have Andre's acting to help. We have DiBiase, you know, just the, that whole plot line um, being about his devious machinations, having, you know, a decent amount of like intrigue for it, for, you know, uh, for this being, uh, you know, goofy, um, goofy Saturday morning wrestling mm-hmm. where, um, where the villains are all conniving like little weirdos. Um, it works, but, but, but then we have, but, but then we have the, the savage side of the storyline, which again, our main components are weirdly obsessing over that time. Honky tonk man pushed Elizabeth and honky tonk man himself, who, when you first see him packs a, packs a hilarious punch. Like, you know, that first episode with him, I was like, this is so funny. This is like an Elvis impersonator. And he actually is kind of intimidating, but he's just like, I told you when we were watching, he just does the same thing over and over and over again. And it's just like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, honky talk man is very, very one note. And he kind of only works in this era. He kind of only works in this, in this era of time where you can be a one note villain. Yeah, um, which again, I I get it, but it, I and, and I get why it was appealing then, and I get why people get a kick out of it. And to an extent, I still get a kick out of it. Like he mm-hmm. has his moments where he works for me, but I'm you know I'm the nerd. I'm like the storytelling nerd who just wants like compelling villains. Um, mm-hmm. who loves it when you got when you get a guy in there. Um, who who has more or can just generally continue to vary the mood or vary the aesthetic enough to the point where you're like, where you don't really get tired of it, which again, Andre does a really good job at here. Um, you know, he's playing along with this, um, with this, this storyline that seems to, that seems kind of out of character for, you know, the big oafish giant to kind of take on just cause, uh, he's so obsessed with taking down Hogan, um, that he's willing to like, you know, bend his ear to, to, to DiBiase and, and do his bidding just for that chance to get him and beat him up. And there's something that, that is kind of deeply compelling about that again, partially because like the personal, like the personal mm-hmm. stuff we know about Andre at the time. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the, the, just the writing feels so weak and i know that's kind of the point but and but the, but i also know that there are legions of wrestling fans we will piss off by saying this uh, <laughs> and i don't understand how that is a controversial statement like i'm not trying to like have a hot take moment here I'm not trying to like start beef with any future audience members but i just i legitimately do not understand how it's a hot take to say this is a lackluster this this is kind of lackluster give me better writing please mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I agree as I don't, I don't think that the, you know, I think that they, I think that, you know, this wasn't like a great period of like super strong writing overall. I mean, it has its moments. I like, it's like, I think that the, I think that the Hebner thing is kind of hilarious and kind of, and it kind of may, it yeah. works really well, but it's, it, this isn't the kind of thing that you see super often. Like it's, and it's real like, mm-hmm. like, it's it's or at the very least it's very ba- there's a lot of basic it's very basic writing right at this point in time they're not really they're really not trying to you know try anything 
super crazy, super, you know, entry, entry, and the super, you know, complex in terms of the writing style, you know, you'll like, you have like, and so I think that it's kind of a conceit of the era that like, you're not really, you're not really getting, there's not, you're not really going to find a whole lot of comp- complex or nuance here. It's a lot of, of, of like the fact that it is kind of a Saturday cartoon and that's can be, ve- and that's very fun. <laughs> And it's, and it's it's backed up by, and it's kind of, it's bolstered by the fact that you have a lot of strong personalities at this point in time. But, but how was this the golden age? I simply don't like, aside from the fact that we have the fun personalities up there, I Mm -hmm. just, something about it just does not connect for me. How was this the peak of WWE? Like, for as for as flawed as some of the future stuff comes, whether that be uh, whether that be like Vince Russo era writing, where he goes like way mm-hmm. too grim dark and and kind of like way too like turn wink at the camera at some, some points, mm-hmm. modern era which um, which while having some really great moments can still be overly sanitized and still have some kind of some yikesy content. Like mm-hmm. it only goes up from here uh, ultimately. Um, so how was this the golden age? Why are we not in a golden age now? I don't. I, I, there's something about it. I just don't like watching this. This should have felt so much grander than it did. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I could tell you because like, what would I know about it? I'm born. I was born in 95. Like I even like, I could not tell you what it's. And it's very hard for me to get into like old WWF. Like that's not really my cup of tea overall because of the stuff you're talking about and like i can appreciate a lot of it i understand its appeal and what and i understand that it was very appealing and on in some parts i get it but this isn't this isn't a golden age for me i'm it's the golden age in the sense that this is like probably the most mainstream popular wwe has ever been the only other the late 90s is the only period that could even come close and Hogan is the biggest star that they is arguably the biggest star they've ever had, which is while he was there, I'm going to preface that. I think because, because, because I, cause the well, rock is because the rock is a bigger star than Hogan is, but the rock didn't become that big of a star until after he started doing movies full time. But in terms of being a star, being a star when he was wrestling, there's never been a bigger than Hogan. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think that I think Hogan carried that Hogan and Savage carried that ship very far at this point in time. Yeah. And again, surrounded by a colorful rogues gallery behind them. And I get that. Um, but I, again, this is all this, this show is kind of this, or this podcast, I, I mean to say, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I feel like, I feel like kind of the MO of this podcast is sort of examining the different perspectives that can be brought to this one singular art form and the many things that, be, that can be taken away from it. And as someone, and kind of from my perspective, where I'm very much into how is a story being crafted? What's the emotional through line? What is the, mm-hmm. what, what are the character arcs? Um, what are the, you know, what are the opportunities given to the performers to really create something um, uh, unique feeling, or at least even if not totally unique, um, something that stands out as this is something that you can't, that, 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 um, that you don't get out of a normal garden variety, you know, piece of entertainment. This is something, this is mm-hmm. something that's a little bit 
special, a little bit unique. And yes, it has those twinges of that. Um, but I feel like so many of those, like so, so many of what gives it that kind of special standout nature is so contextual to the time period it's from, mm -hmm. uh, now experiencing it as somebody who was born, you know, uh, close to two decades after the start of that, after the start of that decade, mm -hmm. um, uh, who, who has no experience with that era until now when I'm just kind of getting started, uh, from a completely like outsider perspective, just something about it, uh, does not land. Um, mm -hmm. and again, appreciate, but can't just get on board with it. Ultimately. I, I yeah, wish I, I could, I wish I could like be swept away by this. I, I do too. Um, I, I feel like this is, this is, I think this era of wrestling more than any other is very much a, you had to be there kind of era. Like I, I even think mm -hmm. that the late nineties edgy, edgy ass bullshit is more easily accessible to, to, to my eyes than even this is. Well, that's God. I hate to say this, but that I feel like that's thanks to I. That's thanks to Vince Russo being there, who, while he had his very you know horrible moments as a writer, like mm -hmm. also um, put so much thought into kind of how he crafted everything. Um, like Vince, that, Ru Vince Russo, gave it that, Vince Russo was absolutely like, trying to write a TV show in a way. Yeah, that, in a way that, that I don't think that at this point in time WWE was super con interested in. And like I talked about that is that like, this is this not is an ear. This isn't an era of like weekly prime time drama TV, the way that you see wrestling now, WWE, WWE now that it tries to, it doesn't, it didn't try to be like that in the eighties. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a sports show that mm -hmm. just happened to have, happens to have some like soap opera tier, uh, drama going on every that's, now and then. That's, that's a good, that's a good way of, of describing it. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, uh, with, with this as a sports show, um, the moments when, when I appreciate it the most are when there's good in-ring work being done, which when it comes to this episode, eh, the the savage the the savage um as as we talked about the savage honky tonk fight was was pretty lackluster in that regard like I feel, neither I feel of them like, are particularly yeah, no. like gifted tech well savage is um, but there's only so savage is very yeah, savage well, is tech, tech but there's only so much he can do with honky tonk man who is not who is a lot who isn't as yeah. gifted as he is and and even if he even when he is he's more it's, like there's there's this very there's very much a, a kind of old school philosophy of like if you're a heel like you're not gonna play a character who's as technically gifted you're gonna do a lot more like shtick and and bullshit and 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 you know cartoony hijinks so even even if you know even if honky tonk man is capable of more than what he's showing in this episode, he's not going to do that when he's, when the, with the character he's playing. Yeah. And, and then, and then, you which, know, Hogan, which, and then um, Hogan and Andre, neither of them, neither of them are, you know, super gifted in ring. Well, Andre used to be, but now, now Andre's well, broken down Hogan, and Hogan can be, but his, but he kind of, his character also kind of lends itself to like this hot dog and showmanship more than it does being a, a super serious wrestler. Yeah, no, what, what's most impressive about the, the Hogan Andre fight is, is like watching for how they built the fight around Andre. 
movie. Mm -hmm. That's the most interesting part of that for me, which was an entertaining thing to kind of watch and analyze because you can see how they set up. Basically, it's it's like it, it it's almost it plays out. Uh, this is kind of a dumb analogy, but it's almost like a, it's almost like you know a doubles comedy act, right? Where you have mm -hmm. the straight man and you have the jokester, or you know mm -hmm. whatever the non-straight man is called in that sort of setup. Yeah. Uh, Hogan's there to be the straight man, set up the uh, no pun intended punchlines for Andre, um, mm -hmm. for then Andre to then take and execute on uh, because mm -hmm. they were so artfully set up for for him. Yeah, like um, like. Like Andre isn't capable of really doing a whole lot himself, so it's all about like what is happening around Andre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, it was. It was um, something. It, it, it was. It was kind of a. Um, it was interesting to kind of really get to focus on the choreography itself when it comes to this match because mm -hmm. this seems like a. a, a one of those matches that was a lot more heavily choreographed as it kind of needed to. And, and that made it, that made it interesting uh, in and of itself. Whereas like, you know, Savage, Savage Honky Tonk felt a lot more improv and mm -hmm. the entertainment value came a lot more from kind of all the chaos that was happening around the ring and within it. Mm -hmm. um, but that chaos can only kind of take you so far because like, again, it may, and maybe, maybe, this is you know different than how fans of the era would see it but like there are you can only go do so much of like everybody's freaking out during this match like before before it gets to a point of once again yeah i get it like move on and, and so like something yeah. else and like yeah exactly I, this this kind of yeah yeah like you like like at, at some point you have to wrestle <laughs> Like you can't, you can only do Which so I much mean, stick. <laughs> yeah, and like it's it, this was a better. I, I will say this wasn't like the worst merging of like shtick and wrestling that mm -hmm. I that I've ever seen. But uh, it, it's you know said said as if I've seen a uh, you know enough mm -hmm. to like give you stories about it. But uh, but 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 like it wasn't the worst. But but again, there comes a point where like okay, yeah, we're just kind of going a circling around because. Savage and Honky Tonk mm -hmm. have to drag this match out for yeah. the fact that it's like one of two matches in a forty-eight minute episode. And like, I feel um, like I feel like, so like I feel like the uh, the first match we watched theirs was way better. Like now that we've seen two, them fight twice, I think the first one from the from episode two was a lot better than this than this one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because because it wasn't nearly as dragged out, mm -hmm. and it had some great climactic moments. Whereas here, there wasn't like there wasn't a, a good flow to the match. Like it was all, it was all just sort of chaotic. Whereas, mm -hmm. whereas with the, with the first one, there was, there was a, an, a followable arc that, you know, starts off, it starts off just normal, but then it escalates and it escalates and it escalates uh, to the point where like Savage is in grave danger. And then out pops Elizabeth with Hulk, with, with, with Hogan on her arm. Mm -hmm. um, and it becomes this gigantic, what the hell of awesomeness. Mm -hmm. Um, but here it was just kind of like the, the crescendo was, oh, so first they're fighting and now everybody's fighting, but like not yeah, actually yeah, fighting, yeah. just kind of chasing each other around the outside of the room. Yeah. Cause especially cause this, especially cause this is a, this is a point of time where like, you're not going to see when the women managers really get physically involved. So like there's a, it's a whole lot of like nope. running around the ring, which again, that's, then that's really funny because as I mentioned, as I pointed out to David that, you know, this episode saw the, the third piece of the honky tonk, uh, entourage group. Peggy's his girlfriend, Peggy Sue, who was 
uh, Sherry Martell in a wig. And Sherry Martell was the women's champion at this time. <laughs> in just, fact, just keep keep treating those women with respect. Sherry WWF. Martell keep, was keep, keep the court. Sherry Martell was women's champion for four hundred and forty days. Ooh. And mostly because they barely cared about it enough to have her wrestle for it. Son of a bitch! Why? I mean, again, as as I always... uh, Here's how this interaction always goes with myself when we talk about the lady wrestlers. Uh, Why? Well, actually, I know why, but it still sucks. I I already promised, David, that that the next time we... The next storyline we work on for a... um, After we're done with the summer of punk is we're going to go watch the women's revolution in WWE. We're going to watch that. Oh... Call us, you, call us, call us in like heart. four months, and we'll be there. But yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll 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 go, we'll we'll go, we'll we'll bring out our full like uh, our full uh, inner inner uh, inner feminist. We'll 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 yeah. turn away all the uh, um, we're, we'll turn away all the gamer gators on with this one, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, like at, at this point so time, at this at this point in time, you know, like women's wrestling in America in a, in a larger scale was pretty much um, run through the fabulous Moolah, who was d- kind of not. I want to say kind of not. That's that's not true. But um, she 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 was a still had a great relationship with. Vince McMahon at this point, this is the, the women's wrestling fell off the bat because they used to have, um, Wendy Richter was kind of a big star for them mm-hmm. in, um, in the 80, in the early, in the mid eighties, right. When they start the WrestleMania thing is because she was, yeah, both she was really good and really, she was young, attractive, good at wrestling. And also she was associate. Also she's had an on-screen association with Cindy Lauper. So, you know, she was kind of a, a scene as a big deal, but she, yeah. Wendy Richter wanted to get paid a little more fairly for being a top star, even if though she's a woman and Vince was like, I don't want to do that. Thanks. And the fabulous Moolah didn't like her because she, Wendy Richter had, had more star potential than Moolah, who at this point was like an old lady in her mid in her late forties, early fifties. And so Moolah screws Wendy Richter out of the title and Wendy Richter quits and never shows up again. And right after that, after the big star is gone, they're like, well, who cares about women? We don't. Ah, why? <laughs> There's, There's so a, much dumb, petty, stupid, drama both like uh, like irl fabe and yeah. it just ruins everything constantly mostly because no. vince mcmahon is an apathetic dipshit <laughs> i mean there's also i told i i didn't think i'd get to talk about this story on the podcast but i guess if we're already here for stories that where fabulous moolah is a terrible person uh how she also killed the women's tag team titles because killing the singles, the the world win, the world championship for women wasn't enough. Is the story of like okay, so for context, um, Wendy Rick, 
uh, Fabulous Moolah used to be a trainer and agent for women's ta- for most of the women's talent that worked for WWE. She was also a shitbag who would like steal money. So it would basically be kind of like, is there an example of this kind of example? Is like, for example, the the off of the front, Vince McMahon gives uh, Moolah $500 as the, the pay for the women on that, on that show. Moolah would take $100 as her fee and then she'd hand the two, ta- and then she'd hand the women $200 and say that was all they got and then she pockets the other 200 (laughs) so she'd do that kind of shit i mean i mean uh yeah that that like see the funny thing about that is like and and again not to get like too off track but the funny thing about that is that like (laughs) that's the sort of thing that that feels like it would play out in a kayfabe Mm storyline but it was like real irl like dumb stuff that actually like yeah that was like the the lie like art it, art imitates life imitates art of yeah. of of course we can't just like we can't just keep this to like you know all fictional in the world of WWE if Vince McMahon is involved anywhere and like the and the sort of people he likes to rub elbows with are involved anywhere in positions of power stuff's gonna get really dumb really quickly and it's gonna lead to to awful things like women's tag team being killed off for almost like what three or four decades yeah uh but back to the story of how they kill how she killed the tag team division is basically um at the time uh the glamour girls uh lilani kai and judy martin were broke kind of like broke ties with moolah over this being like yeah we're not gonna have you continue to take money from us and so as a retaliate as a retaliation response, um, while they were overseas in Japan, Mula made a call to uh, Judy Martin and told her that you know plans have changed, and while you're over in Japan, you gotta you gotta beat the Jumping Bomb Angels for the tag team titles. As those are the current champions, and yeah. they couldn't get confirmation from Pat Patterson, who was the head booker at the time, or Vince McMahon. They couldn't get a hold of either of them because they're in Japan. So to confirm this story, so they go along with it, and then they get back to America, and they're and then Pat Patterson and Vince Man, Vince McMahon, are like, what the fuck, or what the fuck was that? Why? Why'd you do that? You ruined our plans, and so and like just berated them mm-hmm. and just. And that was basically the death of the tag team, women's tag team division for the rest of the, for till 2019. Because <laughs> after that, they just, they stopped caring real fast about that after they, after, after oh, yeah. they like, pulled that shit. And that's the last Moolah story I'm going to tell for now, because she is a massively horrible like, human being, but I'm going to save that for when we actually match with, with Moolah on it. But yeah, like, that was the, like the, the that that's dang. That was the one the person death. causing that level of a ripple effect. God. Yep. Dude, this this era is just so bizarre. Like, mm-hmm. of just all the things they have going on too. Uh, like this, I I don't even like kind of know like how to how to really sum it up well. Aside from like. This is just WWF like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Oh, I don't think the really no, I don't funny think thing about that. that is I don't the- think you've seen that yet because that's new generation. Is is th- if you think throwing everything at a wall is happening here, wait till we get to the new generation. 
Yeah, but like, but like, it. it I, I was re-listening to episode two a little while back, and I had mentioned something about like maybe part of the reason this was so popular in its time was like it just throws so much of the audience that they that that um w- with the feel of like being culturally significant um that the audience just kind of like lapped it all up. So I've kind of mm-hmm. like the the whole uh, the whole vibe of just like bombarding people with as much like content as humanly possible, uh, each with their own kind of cartoony setups and payoffs and whatever to mm-hmm. really make it all pop in your mind. Like mm-hmm. I get like I I get that as a thing, but and that's kind of where my idea of like uh, throwing everything in the wall and seeing what sticks comes from here, because like there just seems like there's so much randomness going on in this era. Um, it's still like. It's it's funny because it feels like it's still uh, trying to find its footing a little, little bit in the kinds of things they want to focus on and how mm-hmm. and 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 Hulk and Savage were clearly kind of like a revelation on that um, because they realized just how much they could capitalize off these like insanely popular personalities like to a to a higher degree than they'd ever experienced before and that's kind of uh, that the, you can kind of see that as like the biggest through line from then. To to now of like how how this company's evolved mm-hmm. but they're still not there yet um and so it leads to things that that are entertaining and have some entertaining moments um i like again we had we had we had some fun things here uh, partially partially a lot of it tied to like the big personalities like austin and i early on in the episode had a just broke out into laughter at one point over how beat red uh randy savage when he's like screaming in his promo um, is he's yeah, yeah, like that's that's really fun. Like his face literally like matched the color of Elizabeth's dress. Um, so like so so we have these really entertaining moments, but it's not quite there yet. Um, and it's still they're still trying to they're still trying to like it, it still feels like um their potential of the setups they give themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess more than anything, the kind of cool takeaway from this kind of thing is is knowing that that their that their storytelling ability is going to evolve from here because this might have felt lackluster but you know it's going to get better uh it's still going to you know not be perfect like you know every time we do a modern show we complain about how st- over stuffed it is with filler but there's something there mm-hmm. absolutely and i think i think this is kind of interesting just for me as a as a, for myself as a fan it's kind of trying to like trying to figure out how they do tell stories in this time period when like mm-hmm. you're like, there's not a weekly primetime show where they do this kind of stuff. Um, these big important shows are kind of like the only shows that Hogan was on, you know, like the, like the, the regular weekly TV was like, you get to see these characters and we'll talk when we get Elizabeth on here, our friend, not, not the character. Um, yeah, not. We get our I, God, imagine, imagine this podcast getting big enough that we could pull Randy Savage, ex-wife Elizabeth, uh, as a guest for this show. Well, I'd have to. I'd have that's to, my well, goal. Have, that's well, my ultimate well, goal okay. for this podcast. Well, I, I'd also have to learn necromancy because she's dead. She's been oh, dead. Wait, for she's like, dead. She's no. been dead for like. She's been dead for like twenty years. So I'd have to pull some necromancy. She was still alive. Oh no. 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 Anyway, as I was getting at, is that like the weekly TV of this era is a lot of like dudes cutting promos to promote future matchups, but the actual matches are mostly like random important person versus a jobber. And like, that's it. That's the whole match. That's all the matches every week. 
Mm-hmm. And that's so bizarre to me. And I don't, and I'm still trying to get wrap my head around like how they do stories at this point when like, that's the weekly TV. <gasps> yeah. But anyway, there, there, there's, there's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 um, the, the storytelling here is fairly shallow, which is not always a bad thing, but for, but for, uh, but for people like us with, uh, oh, more modern sensibilities, oh, mm-hmm. the, there, there, there's kind of, it kind of leaves this empty feeling in your stomach of, of, yeah, this is some good ideas, but give me more. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to get into it. As, as much as I want to. And I, I want to. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I I would love to be able to buy into all the hype here. But again, we're removed from the context of that era. It's so much harder to do, especially if your tastes lie outside of kind of their general aesthetic of this time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that is a fantastic way to, to not, I guess, end our discussion here, but also transition into what we're doing next time. Because next time we're going to go back to something that uh, certainly fulfills my greatest um, modern sensibilities. It is finally time to return to Lucha Underground. Yes. So we're we are, we are going to, I don't know when we're going to do that episode. Cause I don't know what our schedules are going to look like. Cause obviously spoiler warning next week is the week of Christmas. So what will our schedules be like? I don't know. So I can't really promise that next week is where we're going to do this, but next time we are going to talk about Lucha Underground and mm-hmm. I'm ready because it's episode nine and let's, let's lay this out for you, David next week, next time. 20 men and women will step into the ring. One will one will remain and that one will become the first ever Lucha Underground champion. The next time, yes, next time is Aztec Warfare. Woohoo! I'm already pumped. Yes. And all right. So that is what is on the plate for next time. It is time to do our sign off and do our plugs. Yes. Uh, we are, we are all over the social media now. Uh, we're on, we're on Twitter, uh, at noobs and knocks pod. Uh, you can, you can find us on YouTube, the noobs and knocks out knockouts podcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you want to uh, if you want to contact the show, suggest episodes, give feedback, anything like that, you can also email us at noobsandknockoutspod at gmail dot com, um, and we are uh, we we try to drop episodes every week that might get a little uh, disturbed now because of the because of the holiday season. Holiday season, uh, yeah. but for the most part, we try to drop uh, we try to drop an episode every weekend. Um, so be on the lookout for future episodes. Thank you for listening to this one and we'll catch you all next time. Thank you. We will catch you all on the flip side.